Hey, good morning, folks. Thank you guys for being with us. Um, I remember years ago hearing a pastor say uh, the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday right after Christmas is the O Come All You Faithful Sunday because only the faithful show up on that Sunday. So if you're with us, thank you guys for being faithful. Whether it's a handful of us or a ton of us, just welcome. Um, my name is Joe Hess. I'm the Caring Connections Pastor here at South Suburban Christian Church. So welcome to everybody. Wherever you, wherever you are, whether you're closer or across the country, thank you for being with us. Um, up ahead and to the right, the guy told us, the man. Up ahead and to the right. A week ago Saturday, my wife Cindy and I were going for a walk behind her house. There's a big open space behind her house. And this, this jogger was coming up the other way, man. And he said, hey, there's a herd of deer, a small herd of deer up and to the right. And we said, oh, wow, thanks. Thanks for telling us. And then we started looking in anticipation for these deer. And looking and looking and we never saw those deer. And maybe he was kidding. Maybe he was one of those guys that made you look kind of kidding. But, but he didn't seem like that kind of guy. And may, maybe when he said up ahead to the right, maybe he meant his right, which would have been our left. And we were just looking in the wrong direction. We just didn't see the deer. Um, but may, maybe we didn't go far enough. Our, our trail turned off about 100 yards up. And maybe we just didn't go far enough and the, the deer were up ahead of that. Or, or maybe the deer just moved down into the willows next to the creek and we couldn't see them. We kept looking and looking, hoping to see the deer, but we didn't or couldn't. The gospel story this morning, it's about the wise men, the mysterious magi from the east were looking for something too. The Messiah, the Christ, the one who was born King of the Jews. And let's jump into that story right away this morning. And this is from Matthew's gospel, the, the second chapter. Matthew, uh, the first gospel uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, starting with the first verse. Ask you guys if you've got a Bible, just go grab that. It's Matthew 2, Matthew chapter 2, uh, starting with the first verse. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers of, of the law, he asked them, Where would the, was the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them off to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them now until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I want to say that, that we're all looking for something, aren't we? Back behind our house last Saturday, we were looking for that, that herd of deer. The wise men, they were looking for something way different than that. You know what catches me most about this story? The one, the one who knew the prophecies, the ones who had been waiting and hoping for the Messiah, the ones who, who had known the stories and the traditions and the law, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the churchy, the churchy guys, they miss what was right under their noses or really above their noses. What the wise men saw from afar, they missed. The churchy guys were looking for something. These guys had studied and dedicated their lives to knowing this stuff, but they missed it. Looking in the wrong direction, maybe. Looking for something else, bigger, brighter, maybe more bells and whistles. Maybe these churchy guys, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, maybe they were so busy doing church, they forgot to be the church. As we dig into this story, as I want us to fuss with, I want us to fuss with the four main characters or groups of characters in this story. Um, the Magi or the wise men, King Herod, the churchy guys, the chief priests or the teachers of the law, and then there's Jesus and Mary. Let's look at the wise men first. These wise men, the Magi, the Christmas song tells us there were three of them, kings from the Orient. We three kings of Orient are. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it played out, but we do know they came from the east, most likely Babylon, the scholars will tell us, or Persia, present-day Iran. If they traveled the traditional travel route from Babylon to Jerusalem, they would have been on a journey of some 800 miles. That part of the Christmas song was right. They did come from afar. In our children's Christmas plays, we have them showing up shortly after Jesus was born, almost on the heels of the shepherds, traditionally January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany. In the manger scenes at our house, the Hess house, we have them showing up at the stable, parking their camels outside and getting down on their knees and presenting their gifts to baby Jesus in the manger. Actually, the wise men probably showed up a couple of years after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph have moved from the stable and manger scene to a house. I'm thinking baby Jesus was a toddler by this time, and he's still figuring out how to use his human legs, stumbling around the house, bumping into stuff, drooling, teething, putting everything he can grab into his mouth. The gospel story tells us the wise men followed the star and knew that the star, the rising of the star, was a sign. We don't really know much about these wise men. They, they really get airdropped into this traditional Christmas story. And then we don't hear from them again. If they were from Babylon, maybe they or the wise men before them had heard the stories from the Jews who had been in exile there, Jews expecting a king, a Messiah, the Christ. And that one of the stories, one of the prophecies that had been passed on from generation to generation was that of a, of a star. And the star would be a sign. This is from Numbers. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. These wise men, some say these guys were astrologers or dream interpreters. In modern day language, maybe they would have been the scientists of our day. The ones looking for the vaccine that would knock out the COVID virus. We do know this, that they were watching and looking and studying. I want to say these guys were professional figure-outers. They studied stuff and then tried to make sense out of this stuff. When they saw that star rise, they knew something big was happening. These guys, they were looking for something, and that something ended up being Jesus. 
They see the star rise, and then they go follow the star. And some folks, I know, get bogged down by the whole star thing. Was that star a supernova, maybe a comet, maybe a couple of planets lining up, um, like the Bethlehem star that was in our night sky just a few nights ago? Was it something else, something extraordinary, something supernatural, a divine arrow pointing the way towards Jesus? And I'm voting for the latter. The whole Christmas story, God coming to us as a baby born to a virgin, it's all pretty supernatural, extraordinary. And these wise men, they followed the star to Jerusalem. The star gets them close. Jerusalem is about six miles straight north of Bethlehem. But then the star from the story seems to disappear, or at least dim. Isn't that the way it seems Life goes sometimes. We're on the verge of something big, a turning point in our life. Maybe something we've struggled with for a long, long time. It's beginning, just beginning to make some sense, an epiphany, if you will, an aha moment. Then things go dark. It gets hard. It no longer makes sense. We're close, but we're not quite there yet. And that brings us to the next couple of characters in the story. King Herod and the churchy guys, the chief priests and the teachers of the law from Jerusalem. The wise men show up in Jerusalem, and they start asking around, where, where is he? Where's the baby? From Matthew's gospel, second verse, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And I think they get blank stares back at them. What, what are you talking about, stares? I think the wise men are shocked that, that here's the heart of the Jewish nation, and they don't seem to know what the wise men are talking about. They explain further, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew 2, the second part of that verse questioning look they got what are you talking about what star i think that left the wise men scratching their heads the story goes on when when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him and i would take argument here with the writer of matthew's gospel i'm thinking king herod was disturbed in maybe more ways than one but i'm think but i'm not so sure about all of jerusalem I'm I'm thinking the gospel writer exaggerated here to make a point. I could be way off here, but here's my thinking. When he's talking about all of Jerusalem being disturbed, I'm thinking it was not everyone, but it was the movers and the shakers of their day that were disturbed. To me, it was the ones who had influence, the ones who had money, the ones who had power. Back in the day, that was the churchy guys, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. The one thing kings don't like, the one thing kings don't like, other kings. Or the threat of other kings, be it king of the hill or king of the neighborhood or king king. If you're at the top of the food chain, you do not want to get lowered down that chain and you'll do whatever it takes to stay there, keep your position. Even sell your soul. Or worse, sell or steal or kill someone else's. And I lumped the chief priests and the teachers of the law in with King Herod. And that's partly because I know how the story plays out. Fast forward to to the grown-up Jesus. Jesus warns his followers about these guys, these types of guys. Jesus warns us about these types of people too. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, the second verse. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. 
They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Eventually, it will be the chief priests and the teachers of the law who will condemn Jesus to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flocked and crucified. See Matthew chapter 20, starting with the 18th verse. So distracted may be at the beginning of Jesus' life, looking out for their own wants, and later on, so threatened by Jesus. They missed the star at the beginning, then they missed who Jesus was at the end. That moves us to the last part of the story and the last characters in our story, Mary and Jesus. The wise men are invited into a secret meeting with the king, and I'm always thinking nothing good comes from secret meetings. King Herod, who knew nothing about this newborn king, now begins to plot this baby's destruction. The text goes on to say that the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And I'm thinking they didn't need a dream. King Herod was not being straight with them. And he gave them the creeps and they knew something was up. Remember, these were wise men. And after their meeting with King Herod, they head out the door and the star that had seemingly gone dark, it comes back to life. The text says the star they had seen when it rose, past tense, went ahead of them. Now, until it stopped over the place where the child was, in Bethlehem. No ordinary star for sure, this moving, guiding, celestial, pointing the way. And when they saw the star, verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were not just happy, they were filled with joy, over-the-top joy, overjoyed, joy, joy overflowing, a, a, a winning the championship type of celebration. I imagine tears and high fives and chest bumps. This is the revalidation of their long journey. This was not for naught. There was a reason for this mission, even if they didn't understand it fully. Their stop in Jerusalem, the puzzled look they got from the folks in town, their awkward meeting with King Herod, I'm sure it made them stop and wonder, have, have we made just a big mistake? Maybe we should have listened to those folks back home that warned us about following a star. Friends, some, man, some family members for sure had warned them. And these were the voices they replayed over and over again when things got tough on the journey. You're going to do what? what? What do you mean you're going to follow a star? To follow a star, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You guys aren't wise men. You guys, you're fools. You'll be known as the foolish men. Go ahead, follow that stupid star. Ruin your life. But don't you forget, I told you. I told you so. But the star they had been following, the whisper in their hearts that kept telling them, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. The star reappears now, and they are overjoyed, relieved for sure, but overwhelmed too. This hasn't been a wild goose chase, and the star now directs them to the house where Mary and Jesus are. A knock on that door. Mary's had a few surprises in this story already. I would love to have seen how this part of the story played out. The look of surprise on Mary's face as she opens the door and sees this entourage at the door. Toddler Jesus, I imagine, shyly peeking out from behind Mary's legs. The magi as they present their famous gifts. The validation, again, in Mary's heart. This is no ordinary baby. This is the Christ, the Messiah. The wise men have found them, the newborn king of the Jews, and on seeing them, they bowed down and worshipped him. 
As we begin to wrap this up, one question I want us to start with is not so much what does this story mean, but what does this story pull out of us? How does it maybe ask us to change? I heard this on the radio a couple of months ago. Three, three things to make your life whole, to make your life complete. We need these three things in, in our lives. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. And when I heard this on the radio, it was not in a spiritual context, but I think we can back it easily into a spiritual context. And these words have rattled around in my head and my heart since I first heard them. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. I've been reading this book called Honest Advent by Scott Erickson, and I've shared uh, this book with some of you. I just love how he describes entering into the story, the God story. He says this, nothing, and I'm quoting, nothing can be truly known through observation, only through participation. Nothing can be truly known through observation, only through participation. You can't just watch it or read about it. You have to jump into it. To go from nothing to something, you have to jump in. That's what gives us authority. That's what gives us shmika, the Hebrew word, gives us authority to talk about something. Not because we've read about it, but because we did it. We experienced it be it climbing Long's Peak or following a star. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Something to do part. These wise men, and we know there had to be some wise women there as well, they had a choice. They could have just watched the star from afar, waited for the stories to drift their way, or they could enter into the story and actively follow the star. Every great story, there is a cost, especially if God's in the middle of that story. All great stories come at a cost, and the cost of God speaking to us, divine revelation, is that God's going to ask something of us. Jesus, during his ministry, would tell his followers, you want to follow me? You really want to follow me? There's a cost. You're going to have to deny yourselves and take up your cross, and then you can follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Something to do something to love, something to hope for. The wise men were on a mission. You guys, some of you older guys will remember the Blues Brothers. Back in the day, they were on a mission. The wise men were on a mission. They were on a mission from God, even if they didn't know it and understand it fully at the time. Along the way, they encounter King Herod and the churchy guys, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They think, those guys think they're on a mission too. Some of them a mission from God, but they had it all wrong. They missed the star. They missed the mark. They missed Jesus. They too were looking for something, something to do, something to love, something to hope for, but all for selfish reasons. They either felt threatened or they didn't want to lose their spot. That's, that's a way we know it. That's a way to live. It's a way to do it, isn't it? Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. St. Paul reminds us a couple of different ways to live. Do nothing from Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then the second part, your attitude, your attitude in your relationships with, with folks should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Do you guys remember a few years back, maybe 20 years ago now, that we used to have those WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? I wore them for a while, but I would often get them confused with WWJD, what would Joe do? 
My daughter has told me there's a response bracelet back to the WWJD. It's HWLF. He would love first. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I love John 3.17, yet while we were sinners, he died for us. So many of us still think we have to get our acts together before God's going to start loving us. Man, he loves us already. He just doesn't want to leave us there. God wants us to be and act more like Jesus. WWJD, what would Jesus do? But the HWLF too, he would love first. Before we judge, before we criticize, before we lump folks into the I'm not going to care about you box, God asks us to love them first. St. Peter said it above all else, above all else, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And from the cross, God, the same thing. God's love covered all of our sins. Jesus' words, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is my command, love each other. A couple of weeks ago in this place, we celebrated Harriet Lawrence's life. And what I heard over and over again in the stories from the family and from those members here at church was how Harriet loved on us unconditionally. She made us all feel like family. Harriet's superpower, it was love. Something to do, not to imitate Harriet so much, but to imitate Christ, but also to imitate Harriet. Something to love, that's what Jesus was all about. That's what Harriet was all about. Something to hope for. The future hope, when we breathe our last, that's not the end. There's more to the story. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. I sent my dad down to Florida a note with his Christmas gift this year, and I included my top 10 Christmas wishes for 2021 from my dad. Here they are. Number one, the Hess family reunion is on for Jekyll Island this year. Dad, number two, dad, you and I and whoever else is around can go to Archie's for a beer, a yingling, and a burger. Number three, we can go for a walk along the boardwalk at J.C. Park. Number four, we go golfing with my four brothers, your four sons, and no one keeps score. And at the end, we say that you won, Dad. We go to Rita's and get one of those Rita custard ice things. We go fishing at Riverside Park and catch a snook or a jack. And Pop, if I hook one first, I'll let you reel it in, okay? Number seven, we go hear some live music somewhere that makes us all want to dance. Number eight, we celebrate Michelle and MJ's wedding, even if it's just a toast at Jekyll. Number nine, we run or walk the Tunnel to Tower Run in September, 5K. Number 10, we drive out to Montauk and we remember. We remember the stories. What I was trying to give my dad was future hope. Future hope, we all need some of that, don't we? Especially as we turn the page from 2020 to 2021. Future hope. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. From Isaiah 40, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint, Isaiah 40. From Jeremiah 29, and I know this might be taken out of context, but I love what it speaks to me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. And maybe we can relate to this at some level. Something's missing. I'm looking for something. And maybe these three things can help us fill in the blanks. Something to do, 
something to love, something to hope for. As a church, as part of this church family, have we been looking for something? Maybe this is part of the answer. As a church and as a part of this church family, have we been waiting on the sidelines? Waiting for the right time. Timing is everything, right? If you've ever lost someone suddenly or unexpectedly, the time can just run out, can't it? Jesus' first words in Mark's gospel, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go. The king is here. The king is at hand. Emmanuel, God with us. Going into 2021, church, we're going to need, going to need all your help. We're going to need everybody's help, all hands on deck. We're going to encourage and invite, invite you and encourage you again to take a step into this game with us. We're going to start a sermon series in January called Dangerous Prayers. Not just something we're going to tell you about, we're going to invite you in to pray, to pray dangerous prayers. Prayers that ask God to direct our ways, to ask God to inspire us. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Starting uh, Saturday, January 9th, we're going to have an aging well workshop. And this is a workshop that's for all adults, not just those with gray hair. We are all aging. As much as we may want to fight it, come be a part of that. January 9th, Saturday morning, 9 to 11. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. New groups and classes starting in January Let me just challenge you. If you're not part of one, I encourage you to step out in faith and join one. Two of my favorite folks, Roy Hatchke and Jane Crossan, they are leading two brand new classes geared towards busy 30 and 40-year-olds. And if you're busy and you're 20 or 60, come be a part of that. If you're just trying to make it through each week without your hair catching on fire, check out one of these two classes. And there's a bunch more. Pastor Ike's going to be leading a training for service class again. He's going to divide it into two parts, the Old Testament from January to May, and then starting again in the New Testament starting in September. Come check that out. Registrations will be open for these classes as well as classes that are continuing. Just go to our homepage, southsuburban.com, and find a group or class that works for you. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Carter Viss is going to share his powerful story with us on Saturday morning, January 23rd. Some of you remember Carter is the son of Leela and Chuck Viss, members here. Leela plays piano and organ for us. Carter was run over by a powerboat a year ago Thanksgiving off the coast of Florida while snorkeling. He lost his arm in the accident and almost lost his life. He's going to come to us via Zoom and share his story with us at the next Brotherhood Breakfast, co-sponsored with the Sisterhood, our, our women's ministry. We want everyone to hear Carter's powerful story. It's about tragedy and triumph, pain and struggle, forgiveness and grace. I asked Carter, how has his faith changed during this? And he said, Joe, before the accident, I was, I was scattered. I was not inspired. After the accident, God has put in my life a focus, a mission, You don't want to miss Carter Viss's talk with us. That's Saturday, January 23rd at 8 a.m. You'll be able to register for that, for that event on our homepage as well. Lastly, the new sermon series, Dangerous Prayers, all starts on Sunday, January 10th. It's a five-week series that will take us right up to Lent. Dangerous Prayers. Um, James Leeper, our communications guy, he came up with the title, and both Pastor Ike and I, we got goosebumps, God bumps, when we heard the title. That starts again Sunday, January 10th. Hang on, everyone. Here we go. 
jumping into 2021. Christmas was just a couple of days ago. Different, a different kind of Christmas for many folks this year. For many of us, something was missing. It just wasn't the same. Empty, maybe. For me, even in the past, right after Christmas can be a blue time, just a time when, I, when things go dark for me. The hope that Christmas seems to bring each season seems to be over. And now we're looking at the next few months of cold and darkness and more COVID. But the promise of the incarnation, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, just didn't happen 2,000 years ago. Jesus promised to us at the end was this, I will be with you always to the end of the ages. He's with us right here. And how's God going to work in and through us in this next season? How's how's God going to work in and through you and me in this next season? How's God using this whole pandemic thing to maybe ask us to step out of our comfort zone and jump in? Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's in your family or in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe God's asking you to go follow a star that's been on your heart, but you've been too comfortable or too scared to follow. Pray about it. We're going to ask you to pray dangerous prayers. Really pray about it. That small herd of deer up ahead and to the right, that man on the path told us, up ahead and to the right, we miss them somehow. We miss the deer. Let's not miss the signs and wonders that God places in our path this next year. Let's step into the gospel story and see what happens. Maybe we'll have an epiphany or two or 20. I know if we step out in faith, really step out in faith, really watch and really listen. I know we're going to have some crazy stories to share, some God stories, some good church stories to share. I can't wait. Happy New Year, everyone. God loves you guys, and I do too.